Let's begin today in uh, Matthew 24. Now, when you read Matthew 24 and you're thinking about the end times or the, the end of the age, it's hard sometimes to distinguish time periods. Uh, although there are some generalities here that uh, will give us a clue to what Jesus was meaning, and we have almost 2,000 years now of history to look at and see where we are now in this whole thing. But in verse 1, then Jesus went out and departed from the temple. So he's in the temple, and, and he's departing from the temple area. And his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. And this was fulfilled in 70 AD when the Roman general Titus came into Jerusalem there. And he didn't want to do this, but because of the resistance of the Jews, uh, they actually came in and plowed the foundation took down the walls and, and almost everything there. Uh, and that, that's actually recorded by Josephus, who was uh, a Jewish priest, I believe, and he, he was a historian. He, he took an accurate account of what went, went on, although he was not, um, as far as I know, uh, a Christian. He was a historian, and he documented that. And I actually was reading it this morning some of the detail that uh, he actually penned fit what Jesus said exactly, that not one stone would be left upon the other. And then there's another scripture in the Old Testament somewhere where it talks about that, uh, that that area would be plowed, and that's actually what they did. But anyway, verse 3, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, all of the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the world, as the King James says, or as the New King James says, the end of the age. So what will be the end of the age? So then Jesus begins to talk about that. And verse 7, he says, For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Now that has has taken place throughout history, actually. And then when he goes on, it says, and there will be famines, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. And as one individual told me some years ago, uh, related to this verse, they said that, you know, there's been famines and pestilence and earthquakes for years, years. And even through this, uh, you know, this millennial, since, you know, Jesus was was there even till now. But what I believe here it is important to see is that when it's close to the time when the Son of Man will come back, these things here would be amplified so that there would be more famines, more pestilence. We, we haven't, I don't believe, although as far as earthquakes, there, there's been more recorded earthquakes in the last 30 years than in all history that they know of. So that's, that's one sign. Uh, and as far as famines, that seems to be uh, growing. And pestilence also, but I don't believe we've really uh, seen what Jesus is talking about. We're in the beginning stages, it seems to me. But anyway, when you continue on here, down to verse uh, 21... For then there will be great tribulation, such as was not, not been since the world, beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. So Jesus points out certain things here, and then he says there's going to be a time of great tribulation, and that would be before the second advent or the second coming, verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming in the, 
uh, on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So Jesus starts up here in verse 3, and he starts to you know, say different things that are going to occur. And then he says about tri great tribulation, then he moves on now to saying in one chapter he's covering a large time span here. And for us to understand and to see certain things, I believe that we must be walking with the Lord. Now, there are people who maybe are not walking the way they should, and they know certain scriptures, and they know that you know we're in uh, the last days or the end times or however you want to say that, and so on. But as far as particulars, it seems to me that the Lord will bring this more to the forefront and those who are walking with God will begin to recognize it and see it uh, to a greater degree than maybe those who are not walking where they should be. Now, moving on, there is a phrase. Let's turn to 2 Timothy. There is a phrase here in the Bible that I want to look at. Now, if I were to say to you, you know, are we in the last days? Or, or what are the last days? What does, does that mean, the last days? Now, I want to put this in perspective. There is a, a verse here. It says, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Now, that's from the prophecy of, of Joel. And the fulfillment, or I should say it this way, the beginning of the fulfillment of that prophecy was seen in Acts when the Holy Spirit descended. And the reason why I say the beginning is because that continues on even till today. But back then, Paul said, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon, not Paul, uh, we see that in Acts, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. The writer to Hebrews says this, hath, that he hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. So the writer to Hebrews is equating the last days as his time period where now he has spoken unto us by his son. And then Peter says, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers. So Peter is equating, I believe, that time frame as being the beginning of the last days. And of course, you could say uh, with accuracy that there have always been scoffers you know, since that time. Uh, they, they scoffed at the, the resurrection. They scoffed at those who you know, were Christians. They scoffed at uh, the uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit and the speaking in tongues. And it goes on and on. And today, uh, we see the same thing. People scoff at Christianity. They scoff at all types of things related to God and, and so on. And it seems to me, of course, I wasn't living back then, but it seems to me from the, the short time I've been a Christian that there has been an amplification of that because I believe that the mystery of godliness is at work in the world and in the hearts of people. Uh, they basically want very little or nothing to do with God, or they have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. So that in the hearts of people, many times um, related to the gospel, related to Christianity, related to Christ, there is this spirit about them that is, is mocking and scoffing. So it seems as though that particular thing is becoming more pronounced, uh, probably elsewhere in the world also, not just here, but you know, we live here, and we see that, and it probably will be uh, on the increase. Now, in... 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 
Now, we know this verse, but this is related to this phrase, the last days. Now, Jesus was talking about, in Matthew 24, the end times, or you could also say uh, the last days. He, he goes through that, and he, he, he begins to build on certain things he says uh, and what occurs, he says, going to occur at the temple. And then he moves all the way down there through his second coming. So in 2 Timothy 3.1, Paul says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. The word perilous means difficult. It means dangerous. It means troublesome. And then one meaning is this. Days or times that would be hard to deal with. Uh, so those in the world, uh, nations of the world, are finding it more and more difficult to deal with the problems and the things that are arising in their nation and in how that relates to, quote-unquote, the global scene. And so there is a a perplexity of problems, not just in this country. I mean, you can see it in politics in Washington. Uh, you can see it in Parliament in uh, Great Britain. And you can see it in other countries, even those countries that are communist countries. Uh, there, there is this wondering, you know, what to do. It, it's becoming more difficult to deal with things that are arising even on the national scene for different nations, the things, things they relate to the atomic bomb, you know, all the building uh, these bombs and so forth. So in, in verse 1, Paul is saying something here. He's saying that in the last days, or, and as I gave you the scriptures before, you know, starting at the time when the Holy Spirit was given, it was called the last days, we have moved now almost 2,000 years, and we are, I believe, li living in or much further or closer to the end of the last days. And so there is, is this time span here now to where things back then were difficult to deal with, but the closer we come to the end of the age the more difficult things will be to deal with. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know the scope of that. Uh, you know, maybe that's related to, you know, our own personal circumstance uh, and also how that relates to, you know, where we are in the scheme of things and God's purpose. Uh, also, uh, what's going on in the nation, in our area, uh, and then worldwide, you know, things, see, things on a worldwide scale now can affect nation after nation after nation. Things that go on on the national level can affect you and I. For example, if there was a collapse of the monetary system in this country, that would affect all of us to some degree. Now, it's, it's not to affect our relationship. It's not to affect our spirit as far as our walk with God and our serving God. But as far as the natural scene and our natural life and what we do, we get up, we go to work and whatever, you know, whatever that is. See, that would all be affected by what takes place on the national or even maybe the global scene. So... The perilous times, the times that become more difficult, are times when we as Christians need to draw even nearer to the Lord. And one of the things that I believe today that we should be doing is receiving the grace of God today, walking with God today, desiring Him today, because He will give us certain things today that will help us 
be overcomers tomorrow or in the times when things get difficult. Now, we all deal at times with difficult circumstances and situations in our life. But according to what we see in the scriptures, there is going to be quite an amplification of that the closer we get to the end of the age. So for me, that says very plainly and very clearly that for me as a Christian, I need to have my heart close to the Lord and draw nearer to Him so that I have what is needed. See, God gives you what you need. He gives you what you need now here today. And what He gives you, and I'm not necessarily talking about, you know, meeting your needs as far as bills and things like that. That's true. But He gives what you need today. Give us this day our daily bread, our spiritual food. See, He gives you that today to help you, to strengthen you, uh, to give you what you need to walk as a Christian today and prepares you for what may come tomorrow, next week, week, next month, next year, five years, whatever it may be. Uh, I remember when uh, my mother and I first came to the Lord uh, together, uh, you know, the, the first few years, you know, I thought, and of course she did too, that the Lord was coming, you know, it's going to be any day, and of course we're to have a heart that's ready for the Lord no matter when he comes, but now it's been many years, and she's at the very end of her life now, and still this, um, this aspect that Jesus talked about at the very, very end, that whole thing has not yet Come. So we don't know how much further it will be or whether it's going to be in my lifetime yet or in my children's lifetime or in my grandchildren's lifetime. But either way, it seems as though we are approaching that particular time where there is going to be a consummation of certain things. And we're getting closer and closer to that. And the signs all over the world seem to point to that, and especially in Israel. Verse 2. Now, before we go to verse 2, let's turn to 2 Peter. What is the source of these perilous times? So I just talked about perilous times. Paul saying that in the latter days, perilous times will come. I see something in the scripture that shows me the root of the perilous times. In 2 Peter 3.3, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days walking after their own lust. The latter part of that, walking after their own lust. Sin, or more specifically, uh, those who are walking after their own desires, those who are uh, self-centered, those who, whose world revolves around nothing or no one else but themselves, will become the source. Uh, of course, that's multiplied by the millions and millions and millions and millions of people across the world who are self-centered and they're concerned mainly about their own life, that particular thing in the heart of man is what is going to produce the perilous times. That's what's going to bring about the perilous times. The more time goes on and <clears throat> the further away from God or the Lord that men's heart get, uh, and of course that's dealing with the ultimate you know, self-centered life, the more you have a multiplication of difficulty. In second, is it second? Yeah, second Timothy. Go back to Second Timothy. Chapter four, verse three. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires. See, see, that's the key there. 
you know, is the desire to hear sound doctrine or is there a desire for something that is not uh, as difficult or uh, to them they're, they're wanting something that is more palatable. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap to themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth. So this is another you know, aspect here of what components are going to be seen at this, at this time of this, you know, what perilous times will come. The self-centeredness, uh, a turning away from sound doctrine, and that can mean people in the world that hear the word and they turn away from it, or that can mean believers who turn to another way or another teaching. The false teachers are abounding today, just like they did in in Paul's time, and they turn to, to something else to hear what is more palatable, what, you know, they want to hear. And then this is interesting. It says, verse 4, and that they will turn their ears from the truth and be turned aside to fables. So I looked up this word fables, and I, I figured what it means, you know, like a tale. Well, it means a tale. It means myth. It also means a speech. Word, drama. So it's easier to watch a drama than it is to hear sound doctrine that gets in your heart and wants to do something and wants to change you and wants to get certain things out and put certain things in and sometimes tribulates the individual. Well, it's easier to watch a drama than it is to hear sound doctrine. So he's saying that, and it seems to me that this word here has a broader meaning than just a myth and a fable. It also means conversation. Well, let's sit down and talk about the Lord. Well, that can be good, but if that's all that some Christians want to do, they don't want to sit under the sound doctrine that will you know, get into them and you know, cause maybe some you know, upheaval there, then as it says here, they will turn their ears away from the truth. And so I, I think that verse is a broad thing here where it's talking about the unsaved, but it's also talking about some believers, some Christians. So let's go back to 2 Timothy 3, verse 2. So he says in verse 1, in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of, them own, of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Now he's, he's showing you or he's painting this picture of the self-centered person. The self-centered person loves themselves. They love what they want. You know, they're setting their desires, you know, after money. They're boasters. They're proud. Uh, they're unthankful, unloving. They're unforgiving. You know, uh, a self-centered person has no interest or little interest in forgiving people. Sometimes they can't even forgive some of their relatives. I, I know an individual who didn't talk to his family for 25 years. You know, unforgiveness. They said something, they did something, he didn't talk to them. And I, know, I know them personally. Self-centeredness. Without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. So when a person loves pleasures, and that's you know, what they set their heart and life towards, see, that's a self-centered thing. See, that rather than lovers of God. Lovers of God now are the ones who keep the word or keep the commandments of the Lord. A lover of God will become God-centered as opposed to being self-centered. 
So, you know, there, there is quite a difference, there is quite a, a gap between a God-centered person and a self-centered person. Uh, they love pleasures more than or rather than being lovers of God. And then he goes on and says, having a form of godliness. Um, and, and that can be, can be different religions, different denominations. Uh, I grew up in a certain denomination, and uh, there was a tradition, there was a form of godliness. They went through all the motions, all the motions, but they deny the power, how's it exactly you say it? Having a form of godliness, but denying its power, or as the King James says, denying the power thereof. And so whenever I became a Christian, I was summoned to appear before uh, the priest, and he wants to know, you know, why I haven't been in church for six months. And so I began to share the gospel. And he would say things, and I, the Lord gave me a verse, you know, and I would, I would say, well, the Bible says da-da-da-da-da, you know. And then I told him, the Bible says that you must be born again. And then he countered that, and I said, but it says in 1 John 1, 12, but to, to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. And his answer finally was, you can't believe everything you read in the Bible. So that was, that was the end of it as far as I was concerned. I left and never went back. So they have a form of God in this, but they deny the power thereof. And what do you mean by denying the power thereof? They deny that power to work in them and change them on the inside. So then it no longer becomes religion. It becomes something much deeper. It becomes a relationship. It becomes a way of life. A way of life. And, and then also this can apply to just people, you know, that have a form of godliness. You know, they go to church, they go to church, they go to church, and they look religious, but they deny the power thereof. In other words, that they, when somebody tells them, you must receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, they deny that. They deny that power, and that, and that, that power never works in their heart and their life. Now, let's go to, let me see here, First Timothy. Now, the heart condition here that we're seeing that leads to these perilous times will also lead um, to deception or to seducing spirits. So in 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, Now the Spirit express, expressly says, or speaks, the Spirit is uh, clearly saying this, that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. Why? Giving heed to deceiving spirits. And there are those who have departed from the faith and never link what Paul says here to the reason, they have their reason, well, I don't like that church, I don't like that pastor, I don't like this preaching, I don't like that teaching, I don't like this, I don't like that, that's not for me, I'm going here. They never make the connection that the reason why this is happening is that they are giving heed to seducing spirits. Is that, is that what it says? It says deceiving spirits, I believe, in the King James. Yes. See, they don't make the connection. And then it says here, giving heed. And, and when it says giving heed, it's implying that, that they're in agreement with this thought, this way, this different, you know, moving a different way. here. They're in agreement with it. So in the latter times, some, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Um, one John, hold your place there. Well, no, we're not going to go there. We're going to go to Thessalonians. One John, 
2.19. Let me read that. Well, I'll begin at verse 18. Little children, it is the last hour or the last time. It's the same phraseology we've been seeing here. And as you have heard that Antichrist will come. Antichrist in this verse here is singular. It's talking about an individual. Even now many Antichrists, and that's plural, have come by which we know that it is the last hour or the last time. So John agrees with Paul and with what Jesus said. He said that there are Antichrists in the world there are, are those, or there is a spirit behind those who are against Christ. There's a spirit there. Okay? And then he, he continues on. Now listen. By which we know that it is the last time, or the last hour, or the last season. It says here, that they went out from us. So this deception here... John said, was in the church. That, that was in the church, and it was probably not seen by all in the church. It was probably seen by a few in the church. But there was deception in the church, and when that individual or those individuals left, then the deception uh, was seen, or it became more apparent that something wasn't right there with the individual or the individuals. They went out from us, but they were not of us. So it's not necessarily meaning that every person that leaves every church that John's talking about, he's talking about that there are those who leave that are Christians who leave and they're not leaving because it is the will of God or the purpose of God for them. They're leaving for another reason or another way. And John says that they went out from us and it's not just that they left the church. They, 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 are, they are leaving the Lord. They're, they're going their own way. They're not going and walking with the Lord they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, not just with us, but of us, of the same spirit, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they, they might be manifest that none of them were of us. So, I mean, that's pretty strong stuff. So... Back then and today, there is in the church, the church, not this church, I'm just saying the church, there is deception. There is deception, and may I ask you, where is the deception? See, it's hidden. Where is it hidden? The deception is always hidden within the heart of whomever. See, if, if, if a person doesn't endure sound doctrine, if they can't set themselves down and sit there and stay there and, you know, let the Lord deal with them with certain words, you know, from the, from the Bible, whatever it may be, if, if they do not allow the Lord to deal with them and allow song, sound doctrine to you know, get down in there, then there, what will happen is there will be a thought, there will be something that arises that, that carries them. And it's, it, the verses we read, it says that, that that's decep deception. Uh, they didn't discern the spirit by which they were taken out. So they go. So they go. And... And they leave, as John says, they leave us. They leave the fellowship of the Lord. They leave the will and the purpose of the Lord. They're, they're moving out from that now, and, and they're, they're in another place. You might see them, you might run into them, but they're in another place. 
Now, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, this, um, this word here, seducing spirit or deceiving spirit from Timothy, well, a couple of the meanings misleading, but this one here in several lexicons, it says wandering. So a, a mis misleading spirit will cause a person, if they're in agreement with that, and that's why they, they, you know, they, they move, will cause them to wander. Wander. They'll wander around. And I, I'll tell you, I've been around for a long time, and I've gone to some other churches, and it seems to me that today there are more Christians that are out there wandering around, not involved in a part of any body or any church. It seems to me that there are more today than ever, ever. You know, you talk to someone and say, you know, they may talk about the Lord or they, they may say, yeah, I accepted the Lord. Said, well, where are you going to church? Well, I'm not going to church. I've heard that many, many times. I've heard it here in talking to people up front here. Are you going to church anywhere? No. Are you reading your Bible? No. So, so what are they saying? What are they doing? See, they're wandering. And there is a spirit in the world here that wants to place certain thoughts in the minds and in the hearts to cause them to wander, you know, ha have no purpose, have no direction, you know, get up and do what I want, you know, get up on Sunday and, you know, do this or that, you know, whatever, because I can't get it done during the week, and, you know, all these different things, and, and there's something going on that they, they don't even see. So in 2 Thessalonians um, 2, verse 3, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is re revealed, the son of perdition. So, so Paul says that there's two things here that are going to occur at the end of the last days. One of them is, is a falling away. So in other words, in order for there to be a falling away, that must mean that there must have been at one point a gathering where people came to the Lord and you know, they served the Lord and they were walking with God and they were in the church. <coughs> and then something occurs and then there's a falling away. Now, this is not just um, an isolated thing where you have a group, a couple of people here and there in a church where they fall away. He's talking about a specific thing that's going to be uh, very broad, it's going to be very easy to see. So my thought is, what could happen that would cause many to fall away? And there are different things I'm not going to mention, but there are things that could happen, you know, in the world, in, you know, this country, to where, just like whenever 9-11 happened, they said for one month, the people flocked to church, whatever church they went to. They flocked to church, and a lot of the churches were, were full, or they, they, they experienced a marked increase in members or people attending. Okay? But after a month, that kind of fizzled out, and the people went back to their own thing. They were afraid. But what could happen to bring about this falling away where people just give up, where people say, you know, this is not what I thought Christianity was all about, or things are too difficult, you know, uh, I, I might have to stand up for the Lord as they did in the Colosseums. I might have to stand up for the Lord, and it could cost me everything. It could cost me my life. It could cost me everything. And maybe because... People have not been prepared because they have not sat under sound doctrine. I mean, maybe they were interested in activities in the church. Maybe they were interested in drama in the church. But they weren't under this sound doctrine that would have prepared them and helped them 
and put in them a foundation that no matter what comes, they are determined in their heart that they are going to walk on with God and they have a determination in their mind that they are not turning back. So obviously, there is a group of people that are in churches that are Christians that this applies to. There's going to be a mass falling away. So that's one thing. And then the second thing, the man of sin is revealed. That doesn't necessarily mean that those would happen simultaneously. We don't know whether it will happen, something will happen before, or uh, the, the man of sin is revealed at the same general time. We don't know. So those things, Paul says, are toward the end. Then he talks about who exalts himself against or above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And it's talking about what we see in Daniel, the abomination of desolation. That's not referring to, what was his name? Epiphanes, the Greek general, Epiphanes. It's not talking about that. It's talking about Jesus said that this would be a sign that... He, that um, he would sit in the temple in uh, the abomination of desolation spoken of Daniel. He sits and shows himself as God. Do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining that he may uh, be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. See, this is basically hidden. The lawlessness, there's a mystery to it. And that mainly is hidden to most, but not to you. You know, the mystery of godliness, um, excuse me, the mystery of lawlessness or godliness is at work in the world, producing the self-centered people. And the Antichrist will be the epitome of self-centeredness, and that's why he's at the top. Only he who now restrains. Who's restraining? Who's restraining things at this point? The Holy Spirit. So the Father, or Jesus, uh, is, is watching the times, the seasons, and, and everything here. And at a point, there may be a little less restraint and then this thing moves out further, this godliness, ungodliness. And, and it says, until he who restrains, restrains, he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all powers, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteousness, deception among those who perish. Or you see the word deception again. Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. So this, this love of the truth is, is extremely important. Okay, now, let's go to Luke 17. When is the end of the age? Luke 17, verse 26. And as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. So they were spent, they spent their time, they spent their lives uh, living in this world, and what was important to them was what was going on around them, what was going on in their life. Their focus was uh, this natural life and, and all that, and that became uh, that which caught and held the attention of the people of Noah's time until Noah went in the ark. Verse 28, Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. See, they're, they're doing everything like everything's normal and what have you. Uh, th there wasn't uh, a heart that was 
was toward the Lord, poised toward the Lord, you know, waiting for him. They're, they're not interested in any of that, you know, it, during Noah's time, during uh, the time where Lot was in Sodom. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So, you know, it can't be business as usual for the Christian. I mean, I understand that we have things that we, we have to do. We have jobs and all that. But it's not talking about that. It's talking about being all caught up in the natural, in this life, and, you know, what's going on, you know, with you, with what you're doing, what you want to do. You know, it's all about, you know, that. It's all about what we see here and, and about what we want to do instead of having a heart for the Lord. You know, Lord, you know, what is it that you have here? And so there, there's a radical change, you know, here, um, not radical change, but a radical difference between the heart that is locked into what we see here in the natural in this, in this life and those who see the Lord. In Luke 21, verse 25, and there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the seas and the waves roaring. The seas and the, and the waves. Sea, many times in the Bible, refers to humanity. There's going to be a roaring of, of humanity. And it says here that, that on the earth, distress of nations with per, perplexity. And the word Perplexity means confusion. See, the Bible says that God is not the author of confusion, but I'll tell you what, man can author a lot of confusion, and he does. And one of the reasons why they're so perplexed is because there's confusion in government, because of what's in the heart of, of men and women. It, it causes confusion. And I like this. Another meaning of the word perplexity, it says it literally means at a loss for a way. See, because they rejected the way, the way, Jesus Christ, now they, they have rested or determined that their way is better, and now they are in perplexity or confusion, or they are lost for a way, for a way. What do you mean for a way? For a way maybe out of the problem that they're personally in, or how to lead uh, a, a, um, a city or a country or a nation out of some difficulty. There's a perplexity. They don't know what to do. I said that before. Now, how much fortitude is it going to take for us to walk in the last days? Paul talked about the falling away, uh, and then he talked about the mystery of godliness. So these are all things that are, are, are on the horizon. We're experiencing some of it now, but they're on horizon. horizon. But I want to show you something in, in John. See, I look at this. When I was a younger Christian and I looked at this stuff, it was, I said, geez, this stuff is scary. You know, you know all this stuff, who knows what's going to happen and, you know, you have this thought, oh, geez. But you know what? As you walk with the Lord, he gives you this assurance that if you walk with him, he will keep you. He's going to keep you. You don't have to be worried. You don't have to be concerned. In John 14, verse 16, Jesus said, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, or a comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Well, that's pretty darn good. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. You know him. For he dwells with you or beside you and will be in you. And then in chapter, there's another verse there, I want to look in chapter 16 somewhere. 
but also talks about that I will be with you. And having the Lord with you, having the reality of the Spirit of God within you should bring a great assurance to you personally that no matter what comes, the Spirit of God is going to be there to help you, to guide you. Uh, you know, to me, you know, you look back in the Old Testament and the people did not have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, I don't believe. But you do, and he can guide you, he can speak to you, he can give you direction, uh, he can settle your spirit when you need settled. Maybe, you know, some people deal with anxiety. Well, I'll tell you. In an anxious moment, you sit down and you close your eyes and you wait on the Lord and you, you sit before the Lord and allow his presence to sweep over you and allow his spirit to work and, and just touch you. And you will find out that your anxiety and your fear is gone. It's gone. And the reason why people get anxious is because of this, their mind. They think about this and they think about that and th this may happen, that may happen. Instead of saying, I'm God's. I'm walking with him and I'm not going to worry about these things. I'm not going to fret about tomorrow. I'm just going to walk with him and, and that's it. And in closing, it says in Matthew, we know this verse, Go ye into all the world, teaching all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And then he says at the very end, and I like this, he says, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world, or even to the end of the age. Amen. So be it. And so the Lord is with you. You walk with him. He's with you. And, you know, whatever comes tomorrow, we're, we're coming closer and closer to the end, but that's okay. We will see him. We will, we will focus upon him. And the Lord will continue to work in your life and draw you closer and prepare you for tomorrow, next year, next month, and you will have what you need. Praise God.